Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello! And welcome back to the podcast. I'm feeling silly today. Uh, my name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we are very excited to be talking to you about the... What year was it, Chris? 1984. 1984! Oh, right in the sweet spot. Uh, action, comedy, adventure. I'm not sure how we'd categorize this. Romance, all of the above. All of the above. Romancing the stone. I'm getting out of this jungle dump. I am fed up to here with this treasure hunt business. Yeah. Ira, you miserable worm, you lied to me. You said she was a city girl. Out of her element. Just get her in the map and bring him back. Piece of cake. Piece of cake, my butt. What went wrong? I'll tell you what went wrong. First of all, guess who else is here? You're dead right, Solo. What? Secondly, she's got herself a partner. Like shooting holes and everything. The minimum price for taking a stranded woman to a telephone is four hundred dollars. Three hundred and seventy-five in travelers checks. Not a deal. That's just the beginning of what's going on down here. There's nothing you can say that'll make me go back into that hellhole. Don't bring that up, Ira. Ira, stop it! <laughs> All right, I'll go back. But this time, you're coming with me. What, what were your uh, uh, IMDb describes it as action, adventure, comedy? Yeah, that's what I said. Are those all the adjectives that you used? Okay. I think so, do you have a synopsis for us? I do. As you said, it was a 1984 film. Well, you said that. And you brought this up, which I did not know. And we'll get into this later. That it was a Robert Zemeckis movie. I don't know how I didn't know that. But I mean, I think I knew that at one time, but I'd forgotten. It stars Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, Danny DeVito. And the plot is as such a mousy romance novelist sets off for Columbia to ransom her kidnapped sister and soon finds herself in the middle of a dangerous adventure hunting for treasure with a mercenary rogue. So, <laughs> yeah, what did, mercenary what did you, rogue. That's pretty good, huh? So what did you think, Chris? You had seen this before, obviously. I had seen it, but I don't think I'd seen it since. I mean, I saw it oh. as a kid in the 80s. I don't think I, you know, I don't go back. I bet and I hadn't seen it in 20 years. Revisit I, mean, I know it's been a long time. Um, I liked it. I mm -hmm. had a great time. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I sort of expected, I remembered liking it as a kid. Um, I sort of expected it to be, you know, I didn't think I was wrong. I expected it not to age very well and be kind of 80s, corny, you know, like, oh, okay. I, I, in terms of, if, if the litmus test that I always use is a popcorn movie on the couch, like, that's an entertaining movie. Um, some stuff did pop out at me that I want to talk about tonight um, that, that I noticed as a person who has watched film his whole life and learned more about film and produced films um, that certainly would not have occurred to me as a kid um, that I think go into making it a good movie. But I don't want to lead with those things. I want to hear what you thought. 
Yeah, so um, I will first say I saw this in the movie theater when it came out and I can I can't remember the name of somebody that I met this afternoon, but I can remember specific things about dumb things from my childhood. You remember um, the name of everybody in the theater with you. Then. I remember every every person in the theater. Yeah, no, I don't remember any of the people in the theater, but I saw this with my dad and we were out of town somewhere. I don't know if we were on a vacation or what, but I think it was a thing of my mom. We were in a mall and my mom was shopping or something. And my dad was like, hey, let's see a movie. So we see the poster for this. I don't remember seeing a trailer or anything. And as an, I guess, 11 year old, 10 or 11 year old kid, I thought who was obsessed with Indiana Jones, I thought, oh, this is just an Indiana Jones ripoff. I don't want to see that, you know, and I don't think I said that to my dad, but he was just like, oh, let's see. And I don't know if I'd seen any movies with either of these actors at that point, you know, and th then they would go on to be some of my among my favorite actors, I would say. But so I, I can recall going into this not wanting to watch it. And then I loved it. And I can remember this being one of those movies. I know I saw this many times on video or HBO or whatever afterwards. And I can remember this being in elementary school, this being a uh, one of these movies that I talked with other kids about on the playground. You know, we didn't, although we weren't, didn't go to school. We went to school together briefly as kids and then later. But we didn't go to school. You and I didn't go to school at this time. But we probably talked about this movie when we were kids at some some point. I don't remember probably. those conversations. But I, I I can remember quoting lines from this as a kid, you know. So it was definitely became one of those beloved films from my childhood. And the sequel as well, although I, I think the sequel is is probably not as good as I recall. Um, but uh yeah, they have so some things. So she is a romance novelist who Kathleen Turner's character who has to go to Columbia to rescue her uh, sister who's been um, kidnapped. And one of the kidnappers is Danny DeVito. And then that's another thing about watching some of these old movies is people, I would say, I don't know, under 30, probably only no, or maybe under 35 or so, only know Danny DeVito as the guy on Always Sunny. And he's great on Always Sunny, but he did a bunch of movies with Kathleen or several movies with Kathleen Turner and uh, Michael Douglas. And he was a great director too. He didn't direct a lot of movies, but Another one that I think we should watch sometime on the show because it's been forever since I've seen it is uh, uh, shit. <laughs> I had it right on the top of my, on the tip of my tongue. Uh, damn it. The one where they're married and they're, uh, and they're fighting. Um, the War of the Roses. War of the, the Roses. Yes. The one where they're married and they're fighting. <laughs> War of the Timeless Roses. classic. Sure. It's, it I do remember these, War of the Roses. Yeah. But it stars these two and Danny DeVito directed it. And it, it was, a, as I remember, a really great dark comedy, but it's been, you know, it's been forever since I've seen it. But 
So I suppose this movie in a way is, I mean, I'm sure they were playing off of the popularity of Indiana Jones. Of course. Um, but this is a different, this is a lot different than the Indiana Jones movies. In Absolutely. The- yeah. Absolutely. If Indiana Jones is an ice cream flavor like pistachio that was wildly popular, among many, many other things, it's capitalizing on a certain flavor. He's wearing mm-hmm. the, it's set in the jungle, the swinging on vines. So it's an adventure pick set in the, you know, the lush wildness of nature, a la the first scene of Indiana Jones where he's bushwhacking through to some South American temple. That's about as, and they're hunting for a gem. They're treasure yeah. hunters. So, that's as deep as it goes. That and the fact that he's dressed like you would and wearing a Stetson. He doesn't have a bullwhip or anything else, but he's got a machete. The echoes of that are unmistakable, but it's a totally different movie. Right. And, you know, it's right in the title there, Romancing the Stone. This is this is very much a romance uh, film. And I noticed uh, watching the opening credits that the writer was a woman. Um, and so, you know, this, she, uh, Kathleen Turner's character is a romance novelist and this movie plays out kind of like a romance novel, you know, very deliberately, um, I'd say even more than kind of like it's, uh, yeah, yeah. We establish it's, this movie is so tight in that way. Yeah. It's so smart because, it doesn't run that deep. It's not, there aren't, you know, it's not the shape of water that is trying mm-hmm. to resonate profound human stuff, which it does masterfully. This is a movie that's like from the very opening hook, it, we, she's finishing the end of whatever novel and it's set in the Western, but we're seeing it as we hear Kathleen Turner's voice narrating what happens. And there's a bad guy and there's a vulnerable woman and she's sexy and he's a bad guy. And, she gets the better of him and, you know, and then everybody wins and they're right off in the sunset. And it's, a, it's just the kind of B minus material pulp material you'd expect to see, but it's shot gorgeously and it does get its hooks in you. And you think I had complete, I had no recollection of that me neither. opening at all. Me neither. But and it was but, like, wow, this is great. <laughs> you know. But then the whole movie is a romance novel of the woman who gets swept away and gets on the wrong bus. And it's like, if you zoom out, she meets the mysterious stranger who she's not sure she can trust, but she falls for him anyway. I mean, it's it's a perfect meta thing of itself. And the whole thing is carried by smart writing and great directing and great performances that never feel like they're trying too hard. Like uh, Kirk Douglas, Michael Douglas, I'm sorry. Michael Douglas, you know the reason why I think Kirk Douglas popped out of my mouth there is I had the thought watching this movie when they're starting to fall for each other that, and you can sort of see him behind me here, but if these two, <laughs> if these two ever had a kid, their children would have very strong chins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, he, Michael Douglas is, however you feel about Michael Douglas, in the entirety of his career he's just super charming on screen and it's effortless and she i think of when i if you just said what do you think of kathleen turner i'd be like um you know smoky voice sort of 
smoldering sexuality, blonde bombshell of kind of maybe another era. Um, but that's not what she's doing in this movie at all. Um, she is in the when we see her finish the novel, she's literally a, a single cat lady. She has a relationship with her cat where they celebrate and she lights candles and sits down to a fancy dinner with her cat, gives the cat cat food and puts a sprig of parsley on it. I mean, it's it's funny in that way that it's over the top, but they do it so sincerely and so sweetly that it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't rankle. You never mm -hmm. think, oh, give me a break. You just think, okay, we're, these are broad strokes. But you're on board almost immediately. And the two of them have such great chemistry. He's not playing so much a character as much. You know, I think of Sean Connery. We just talked about Sean Connery as Agamemnon in Time Bandits. He's not, he's not playing a role. He's just charming as hell. Like, that's what he's doing. They put him in a wig and a costume. And he's telling the story of like, oh, yes, I am King Agamemnon with this dazzling megawatt smile. And you're like, who, if you were a kid, you wouldn't want that to be your dad. You would. I want him to be mm -hmm. my dad, you know. Mm -hmm. So Michael Douglas is hitting his marks, but he's just being charming as hell. He's not. There's not really much character that he's layering on there as much as his sort of great comic timing and charm and chemistry she's actually playing a real character she's she's this kind of woman in her shell who gets her of big passions who gets it at all on the page and then gets to go discover that she is up to living it too and that she wants to live the life she's only been writing about and uh i think the whole thing just is super and danny devito I think Danny DeVito in certain roles can be a little bit cringy. Mm -hmm. He's amazing. I'm not going to say Danny DeVito is not an amazing actor and director and super talented guy, but we talked, I talked, I, I went off a little bit about him and there was even comments. That I don't know that we let post in about the Batman returns where I thought that his Oswald uh, Cobblepot was a little like that was direction too, but he was just so he was a little rapey. And I was like, mm -hmm. Ugh, you know, and I think he, I know, I don't know the man. I don't want to cast aspersions on the man. I think he's comfortable playing cringy roles, roles that push the envelope of that. Um, he's not in this film. He's almost, he's a villain sort of, but it's really comic relief. Um, and he's a brilliant comedian on screen. Oh yeah. Um, and it just all, it, you know, the thing is firing on all cylinders and it doesn't run that deep. And the other realization I had was the score, while definitely, definitely cemented right in at 1984, mid-80s, the score is brilliant. Um, and it made me want to look up who did the score for that, because I thought, did this guy also do Beverly Hills Cop? Or, or were these other things all sort of imitating this person or... I say guy, I don't know that it was a man, but I I, I looked at the name and I I'm going to look while you're talking his name, but I just thought, you know, this score dates it as a mid eighties movie, but it's just, it's everything it needs to be. It's not John Williams, right? You're not going to go buy the album. Um, the score itself is not a leading character in the film, but for a mid eighties movie, 
Uh, you know, Star Wars would not have been Star Wars without John Williams' score. Um, oh, yeah. It would have been many great things, but it wouldn't have been Star Wars without John Williams' score. Um, this probably could have done fine without this score, but this score was the perfect icing for a great cake just to mix a bunch of metaphors together. Um, oh, sure. And I thought, you know, I don't know. I'm always, Rachel's a tough critic, my wife, because she's oh, did not she a, watch it with you. No, no, but she's oh. not a movie person, but we're always looking for stuff to watch together. And it's, it's a weird, it's a little challenge because I watch a lot of stuff, you know, I'll watch, mm -hmm. I'll find something interesting in most stuff I watch and rarely will I, I, I don't think I ever walked out of a movie that I had paid to get into until I started dating Rachel. And oh yeah. I've never walked even like things I hated. I've never like walked I paid out. for this. Like I want to see how it ends. Yeah. Like if I'm going to run it down, I want to be able to run it down from start to finish. <laughs> and I've seen some bad stuff. Oh in yeah. The theater, you know? But the first movie I think I ever walked out of was uh dumb and dumberer. She and I went to see that on a date and she's like, I can't. And I was like, but we paid to see this. She's, she got up and left. And I'm like, I guess I'm leaving too. <laughs> but that was a terrible movie. But um, I saw, but, but I, I try and find things that she and I are going to like to watch together because we do yeah. enjoy it when we find uh, material. And I thought maybe, maybe she'd get it. Maybe she would like this one because this is. Had she great. ever seen this before? I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, and it's, I was thinking. Um, I mean, this is definitely a movie that I would have, well, you know, I saw it with my dad, but that I definitely would have watched with my, with my parents when I was a child. Cause it's family ish. I mean, in the, you know, there's some profanity and kind of borderline nudity, but, uh, it's, but it's pretty tame. Certainly yeah, by the, today's standards, the whole family can watch it, you know? Um, I think, and, and just on that note, like, because a, a running thing of mine is sort of sexuality in movies and the sort of uh, puritanical um, rating system in America. It's not puritanical. It's, it's really convoluted where anything sexuality oriented is uh, treated like it's the most dangerous whatever. And then but but violence is given this incredible pass in the beginning of this, which is very much the filming of the sort of bodice ripper she's writing. There's a scene in which the woman who the bad guy is threatening is sort of standing, you know, it's clearly supposed to look like Kathleen Turner. The actress is mm -hmm. not Kathleen Turner in that scene, but the silhouette of her is supposed to be. And she's wearing, you know, it's in the West and she's wearing a long skirt and a sort of a white lace top. And I don't know if it's sweat or what, but she's sort of wet and it's very sexualized as mm -hmm. a bodice ripper would be. But there's a shot where they she's sort of pulling her, you know, she's nervous because this guy's leering at her where he's got a shotgun. And she sort of pulls her uh, shirt up and you can see her nipple sort of through her wet yeah, shirt. Yeah. And I just thought. That's so sexy, like mm -hmm. it, that's not a dirty shot, but it lands a punch like it, it lands what it's trying to do without being explain you know the ratings like what 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 makes this an r-rated movie or whatever in this shot and they're like well technically nothing but it's very sexy <laughs> and you're like yes but then it's what it's supposed to be so i mean there's nothing you could point to and and say this crosses the line but 
you know, when they look at each other and they embrace, it, it smolders and it's mm-hmm. it's just great. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, no, no, no. That's, I was rambling. Uh, so this was a PG rated rated film. So PG. I thought, yeah, I thought maybe it might be PG-13, but I know that 84 was right around the time that PG, I think the first PG-13 movie was Gremlins, I believe. Um, but so that act, so that opening that is a scene from her book and that actress, her, her face is obscured kind of the whole time, as well as the, as the, the hero guy. And, and I thought that was so sexy in the beginning. I was like, who is this actress? And I looked it up and I, I should have the name, but um, she wasn't in a lot of things. She was most famous for, she was in ZZ top videos as like one of the girls in the, in the ZZ top videos, but, but yeah, it's uh, as you said, they're, their chemistry is fantastic and you know and as you said with kathleen turner she is this beautiful actress but you know she was great at comedy as well you know this is not she doesn't have a ton of funny lines but um and she's so convincing as you know the in that just the description they use the term mousy as being this kind of mousy you know and you could there's a early in the film her um editor takes her to this bar and is wanting her to to meet you know guys there and she's just you know not really interested and you can see it as even though she's this beautiful woman that could kind of just be a cat lady because she's she's so dressed down early in it you know um i don't really know where i'm going with it that when she goes to she goes to um columbia right mm-hmm. because her sister is in trouble has gotten mixed up in something and 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 she gets mailed um you know an envelope and in the envelope is a treasure map and it turns mm-hmm. out that they you know her uh, brother-in-law her sister's husband has been killed something over this map and this come from him and some bad guys have her sister and they, she gets a call. It's like, you need to come to Columbia and bring that map and where they're going to hurt me. Um, so she doesn't know anything about anything. She doesn't speak Spanish. She's totally unprepared. She packs a bag. She flies down there. There's a bad guy right off the bat. That's sort of misleading her. She gets on the wrong bus and she ends up um, deep in the, in the jungles of Columbia. And, you know, she's wearing a very sensible, like beige, boring, mousy dress. And not to tell the whole story, the thing is things, things start to go wrong immediately. And there's some gunplay and she runs into the Michael Douglas character and the rains of the afternoon start and they get swept over the, the road kind of washes out and them with it. And almost immediately, this kind of all the way laced up beige you know, kind of prim dress gets destroyed. And so she ends up looking not unlike the character that we see from her book, mm-hmm. you know, her sleeve rips off at one point point. it's a comic moment and they they're hacking through the jungle and they come across the, across this downed plane, right? A plane that's gone down in the jungle and there's a corpse of the pilot hanging out the window still with aviators on. And it's a, jump scare moment and they go inside and it's a drug plane and i thought this was interesting it's not full of cocaine it's full of marijuana (laughs) which (laughs) i mean i guess uh, nowadays like i you know i'm in massachusetts it's recreationally legal 
but this was during the war on drugs. So that was a epic no-no. Um, and they and maybe f- back then there may have been more, uh, I'm, I'm just guessing, but there may have been more maybe there cocaine was. usage then than there was, you know, marijuana in the eighties might've been viewed as like, oh, that's what they used in the sixties, you know? Maybe, but I'm just guessing. I don't know. But 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 I think they chose for it to be marijuana, whether or not you fly a bunch of keys of marijuana in a plane from Colombia, mm-hmm. uh, because he makes a, a fire, he makes a campfire, and he's burning the pot, and so mm-hmm. the two of them start to bond because he's they get a contact high from all of this. He's literally burning bales of weed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just the whole thing is very paint by numbers and you sort of see where it's going as it goes, but that doesn't keep it from being charming as hell. Yeah. And there, the chemistry between the two of them is so, is so great. Right on the money. They're they're both great. And, you know, and uh, I feel like a broken record on some of these things, but I, it was interesting to go back and watch this and see things, scenes that I recall as being almost kind of big set pieces. Like I'm thinking of one of the very first things that happens with them is there's a mudslide and they go sliding down this hillside through the mud. And I remember that as a kid being such a big adventuresome scene and it's, and it still plays well today, but I don't know if that would get into a film today. If it did, maybe it would be much more expanded. You know what I mean? Because it's yes. just like, it's a pretty basic stunt. Right. That in an action movie today just wouldn't be big enough. Big enough, right. But but I recall it as being really big, you know? Well, and I think I miss it. I think, I'm, I, think I miss the sort of relatable scale of that because it looked scary. And it looked like they could definitely get hurt and it looked like it could happen. And but at you're the not end of thinking it, like, oh, they would be dead. There's you know? sort of a racy bit at the end where she lands first and she lands on her butt and she sort of falls back with her knees in the air and he comes down second and he lands with his face in her lap. Mm-hmm. So there's a sort of, a, you know, like he's going down on her or something, mm-hmm. just the position of it that I think the parents would be like, oh, and I'm not sure the kids would get. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think nowadays things are so big that you're almost like, well, if this is a hit, they want to make a ride out of it, (laughs) you know? Yeah, good point. You know, um, you can imagine standing on a road and having the road washed out and being swept down the hill like they were. Like, you could imagine what that would have been like. And his response she doesn't quite know what to think. You know, he says, are she's you in shock? Almost. Yeah. And he says, are you hurt? Cause she's never done anything like this before. And she's like, no, I'm not hurt. And his response is, Woo-hoo! Yeah. well, what How, a ride. Like, yeah. <laughs> welcome to Columbia. You know, he, he, it's just this sort of unbridled adrenaline joy of like, well, that wasn't what we expected, but wasn't that fun. And, and mm-hmm. you can see her character sort of being like, Oh, yeah, I mean, yes, this is horrible and it's not what we expected and now we don't know what to do, but it, it actually was, now that we're not hurt, that was really fun, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whereas if it's a rock movie, it's him falling off the top of a building that's collapsing and then he catches the thing of a helicopter and swings around and there's eight more parts to it. And you're like, yeah, 
Well, I, I can't even imagine, you know, I can't imagine really doing any of the stuff that's in Too Fast, Too Furious. Like, that's just, I mean, I know what it's like to be in a car, but that's crazy. Look at that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a spectacle that you disconnect from in a visceral way. Sure, exactly. And I kind of um, miss it. I kind of miss because you, it, it sort of inadvertently, I don't know that they mean to do this, but it sort of inadvertently feels like it kicks me out of the movie. It's like, yeah. just sit back and watch. We'll do this crazy stuff. And I'm like, well, I want to I want to go along for the ride. Like, I want to feel like I'm along for the ride. I saw, I won't say anything yet, and I'll say this in whatever time we have at the end, but I saw a new movie that I wanted to say a little bit about um, that kind of ties into what we're talking about here. So don't let me forget that. But yeah, it's, um, you know, there are, there are definitely things in this that you think, oh, that's probably, you know, wouldn't, couldn't, like there's a scene where he's scaling up this, uh, there's sort of the climax is in this sort of castle or old fortress or something. And he's climbing up the wall of it, you know, with his bare hands. And it's like, oh, you probably would fall and die, you know, but, but it, again, it's, it's like this could possibly happen you know right. it's it's uh, right. so but um, in the reality of the movie again like yeah and i'm reading a big fantasy series i'm reading i'm reading the wheel of time series now and it's not uh it's not the same kind of um romance fantasy it's like swords and sorcery fantasy but it's the same kind of thing as like they don't detail the difficulty of climbing up the wall they're just like you know and painstakingly he climbed the wall upon reaching the top you know what i mean it's like you don't Mm -hmm. it isn't realism you you need enough of it or in star trek it's like they you need a couple of lines of baloney science to be like well so how are you gonna well the dilithic camper they only decay on or whatever so we could oh that might work that's all you need you just need the people to acknowledge that this is you know a challenge but there might be a way out you need to quantify it somehow and then we're all willing to suspend our disbelief like oh well you know if spock says the dilithium behaves it's fine it's gonna be cool <laughs> right mm-hmm. so we see him climbing and we see that it's hard and then we don't spend any more time on it because and i think the, the plot th- doesn't have him fall the plot has him make right well and i think also the thing is that that uh so I don't want to, I've not seen this film and I'm, and I'm sure it's probably entertaining. Um, so I don't, I don't want to, it's unfair for me to, to bash something that I've got to actually seen. So I'm not trying to do that, but I imagine say a film like uncharted that's out now. Um, that Tom that Holland. I'm, yeah. With Tom Holland. I'm sure there are crazy stunts in there. Uh, Fast and the furious type stunts that involves CGI and that would probably take you out of the film. Whereas with this, even if the things are implausible, we know an actual human was there. It probably wasn't Michael Douglas climbing up the side Uh, or when they do the, uh, I was just thinking watching when they do the mudslide, it's like, wow, that looks really dangerous. I mean, I know it was stunt people sliding down, but it's still a real it appears to be a real hillside with mud. And they you know probably I mean? built a slide, you yeah. know, at a PVC or something on the hillside. And then they dumped a bunch of mud and water down with the people. Yeah. But it, 
it's real people doing it. So it's, you know, it's real in that sense. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't want to always be the guy just attacking CGI. Right. Or whatever, and we don't want to be the know. guys that are constantly going on a rant about practical effects, but yeah. Yeah. But we did they're... grow up with practical effects. I, I, I saw a thing on YouTube the other day. Maybe I've already talked about this where it's a bunch of VFX artists and they're not dicks. They're actually, they, they love the same stuff we love, but mm -hmm. they take, kind of classic scenes from movies they're young so these weren't even movies from their childhood these were movies from our childhood that they weren't even born yet um but like the um like the trench like the trench scene in star wars at the end where luke is they're flying down the the trench trying to blow up the death star yeah they remake it purely in computer purely with vfx and and they say look we don't we, you know, people have already gotten on and digitally modeled X-Wing fighters and TIE fighters and all of this stuff. So we didn't create this. You know, we found these models on the Internet. And, and so we say we're going to do it in a day, but we're not doing it from scratch. We're using some pre-made things that already exist. But for the most part, we're taking them and we're assembling them and we're doing all the light. And we are remaking this scene shot for shot. And we're going to try and plus it up and make it even better purely digitally in one day in something that took them how many weeks or months to make practically they keep they keep pointing out that nothing like this had ever been done before and they did it with wires and you know they all kinds of camera tricks that they had at the time uh, you know i still think maybe it's just nostalgia maybe it's just nostalgia but i do you get so many delightful surprises when you do practical stuff um it just there's a part of my brain that's just like it reads as real because it's real you know that water is not compute it's not an algorithm that did that water that's just water mm -hmm. and yeah you can look and sometimes there's a car in the shot or sometimes the thing explodes in the trajectory of the guy on the wire flying out of the explosion doesn't look quite the way you imagine it. How do you know it would look, right? Sure, yeah. But I, I think that CGI has actually become less expensive than practical at this point. And, so, yeah. and, and uh, no aspersion to the digital people, but what you're seeing is one person or one team of pe people's imagination and it's as as unlimited as the technology is you never get the sort of surprise of physics that comes in there and somehow makes it look at raiders when they open the arc and the guy's head melts like that's not what i mean who knows what it's clearly wax and it's got layers and they superheated yeah. it and it just melted so you say, well, I don't know that it would look like that. And when you're like, first of all, I don't know what it would look like, but that's cool as hell. Like, sure, I will yeah. never forget that shot. That's uh -oh. unique. That's unique in cinema. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that loves that, that you like, wow, man, you can sort of see that somebody built not just a wax figure of this guy, but they made it with a skull. Like they made it anatomically. There's eyeballs and nose melt. You know, so that when this thing melts, we see layers of it melt away. And it's not just like one big pink candle. I don't know. I don't know. I Well, and, and you know, 
a lot of times now maybe Spielberg, you know, necessarily didn't have this, but a lot of times with some of the practical things they were doing, it, they had one take. So it's like they blow up a model of a house or they blow up a real house, you know, or, you know, a, a movie house. And it's, we got one chance, you know? So if it doesn't work out right, exactly. That's you know, what we this got. Is what you get, you know? Yeah. It's, um, uh, it's impossible to say, you know, you can't separate the nostalgia from, um, you know, if, well, if, if, you, the filmmakers that, you know, that forces you to invest in it. Like we got one shot at this or we have to make this work, right? We have to make this work. Even if we don't have one shot at it, we, we have to make this look good. And everybody has that, like, this is important. Like this has got to look good. We all, we have to do that. And I think that that investment on the filmmakers part, and you see it with the actors who are investing in their roles because we're used to watching their faces as they give their performance. But the set people and the costume people, I mean, look at Lord of the Rings and the, 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 everybody who built the sets and the costumes and everything in Lord of the Rings, like they were invested in it. How do you know? Look at it. The detail in that is incredible, right? So the investment of everybody involved in the production comes through. And I think that's one of the things we talked about with um, Del Toro is none of this is arbitrary. They didn't find some, you know, inlaid wood room for that to be the shrink's office. So somebody painstakingly designed and built this thing by hand. And it's incredibly intricate and gorgeous. This is somebody's art. Mm -hmm. And that investment comes through on screen you you see that investment so oh, the sure. thing is a piece of art it's not just like these lines are art and my performance of these lines is art and my lighting of this all of it all of it is art and when it's arbitrary you feel it it doesn't feel important and when it's computer generated unless you know what you're looking at like if you do visual fx and you know how to do that in computer and like oh that's really smart of them like i watched these guys also review the uh, villeneuve dune movie and they're looking at these visual effects and they're like oh that is so cool and they explain why that effect is so cool and you think oh i just thought it looked really cool like i didn't mm -hmm. see the craftsmanship that goes into it because it's literally all virtual um Unless you know what you're looking at, you're just you're just receiving this kind of spectacle without. Yeah. Because there's nothing physical that carries the stakes of the people that made the thing. I don't I don't know how to and say it. it a little bit of maybe a flip side to that with the artistry is how often with these films at that time is they would get on set and the stunt or the practical effect doesn't work exactly the way as they drew it up and then they have to improvise and do something else so there were a lot of things you know the classic with that is jaws the shark never worked so uh you know spielberg had to shoot around a lot of that and the result was one of the greatest movies ever made and you know? the stakes go right through the roof right? right the shark doesn't work like we spent all of our budget on this shark it's not working we're out here we gotta get this shot what are we going to do? And everybody's panicking. Mm -hmm. And they say, okay, 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 okay. So somebody has the idea of the pontoons and they think, oh, okay, well, okay, yeah, how are we going to do that? Okay, okay, we're going to make that happen. And then they say to the actors, like, 
new plan. Shark's not working, right? We're going to be behind the pontoons. Pontoons coming for the boat. Can I see the shark? Uh, and they decide, like, I don't know. Can't, maybe you see the shape of the shark, right? But you have to sell it. You have to sell it. When we see your face on the boat, we're getting closer to you as we're behind the pontoon, something that's dragging these things, right? You are proceeding in some way. This thing is coming right for you. And so, and the actor doesn't have time to rehearse that. They've been working on the film. They know the character, they know the situation, but boom, it's electric. It's electrifying that shot. And what we remember from it is the pontoons, but the actors anchor it to our experience. So he sells it. You know, the look on his face is just like the incomprehension of something big enough to be dragging these things, maybe a shadowy shape in the water. I mean, he knows it's a shark, right? Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. It's the Hitchcock thing. You see the face oh, yeah. of the person that sees the monster. You don't see the monster. You're looking at the face of the person who's seeing the monster that is standing where you're standing and they're horrified and you're like, oh, it must be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, now they can, and this isn't a bad thing. It's just different. They can do whatever they want with the shark. No, they can just show the monster. And, yeah, they can show the monster and it's like, oh, if something doesn't work, we can fix it digitally later, you know, and that's not bad that's just different right. then you have a different you know if shark if if spielberg were making jaws now he would show the shark much much more and maybe it would be jurassic park right and it'd be like oh the shark is amazing and it's terrifying you know but but um, the shark better be yeah right i mean that puts a very high bar on the shark and we, we've talked about all of this before but alien the first one you know, Giger's work of that crazy xenomorph, that design, you don't see much of it. You really don't. You see little pieces of the elephant. And in the end, you sort of get the full reveal, but you don't have the time in the movie for the camera to like lavish all over this thing. It's this gleaming black nightmare. There's a tall you know, guy in a suit, you know, walking. Yeah. Um, and it's pointy and scaly and sharp and dripping fangs, right? But not until the end do you actually see the whole, ah, and that's all you get to see of it. Mm -hmm. um, and this was before you could pause and go back and freeze frame and stuff too. So what you saw of it was what embedded itself in your nightmares. And then even in Aliens 2, which I think was a great movie, um, where it's like, well, okay, we already know what the aliens are. Now there's a bunch of them and we're going to play around with what does it look like if there's a bunch of them coming towards you really fast and layering some other stuff into the storytelling. But by the time you get to Alien 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 25, it's sort of like, okay, yeah, like we know what it looks like. So how are you going to make this new, right? What's what's scary about it in a new way? And I think that the 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 last ones he did, Prometheus and uh, um, Alien Covenant. Covenant. Um, the scariest thing for me was not the aliens, but David. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big Fastbender fan, but oh, sure. Yeah. So too. it was like, it's not even about the aliens. It's about what created the aliens was this sociopathic creation of man. I mean, it was, I, you know, was, that said, I love Prometheus and there's a lot of CG in it, you know. So CG, you know, in itself isn't bad. I, I love um, Prometheus as a whole, but I thought there was a bunch of it that felt like the studio got involved in ways. Yeah. There's like, some goofy, there's some goofy stuff in it. This is stupid. Um, one thing I wanted to say about uh, Romancing the Stone is 
this is it's certainly not a lost film because you know this is on so i watched this on hbo max yep. you know so it's available for everybody to watch and it's not even a forgotten film but it's just a you never hear anything about this film so and i wonder if you know i think probably for most people um even people younger than us when you think of Michael Douglas, they probably think um, Wall Street and uh, Fatal Attraction, probably, you know, there's probably the two big ones that I imagine probably younger people are really familiar with. Kathleen Turner, people probably think Body Heat, I imagine. Um, but this, you know, this and Jewel of the Nile and War of the Roses are just movies that nobody says it probably michael another michael douglas one is probably falling down uh people seem to be really into that one but you know what i mean these were hit movies that were not indiana jones they weren't on the indiana jones level uh you know people aren't buying action figures of these characters i mean maybe somebody has made action figures of these i don't know but you know what i mean it's just like this yeah. is this is a movie that i think people our age and maybe even uh, maybe our parents age or nostalgic about and they're maybe people are catching this on you know younger people are like oh what's this and they're watching it on hbo but i i'm not sure what and a 10 or 11 year old you know the age that we saw this initially or even like somebody in high school or 25 or whatever how this would would play for them if this would be kind of dull based on what people are used to yeah in terms of a romance and in terms of action i don't know yeah that's interesting to think about i wonder if we are so because to me like i don't want to over effuse this is not one of my favorite films but as a piece of entertainment as a piece of movie entertainment i just think that i don't want to use the word perfect because i think it oversells it but it's just so it's precisely what it is mm -hmm. and it's not it's nothing more but yeah. it's nothing less like it's it doesn't aim super high it aims to entertain and it's like ah a romance novelist gets swept up into a romantic adventure precisely like the kind of books she writes a happy ending twists and turns uh pg squarely pg you know maybe pg-13 considering the new thing that was coming but it hits all the marks it does it makes it look easy um you know there's aspects of it that are a little dated i always love watching in new york when somebody goes and uses a payphone. Mm -hmm. um, but you know new york has not changed like the parts of the upper east side and everything that they are or the upper west side that they're in those buildings were built at the you know at the turn of the century and they're exactly the same. The cabs look more or less the same. New York looks probably the more biggest or less change. Probably the biggest change is Times Square. In 1984, Times Square was probably still really seedy, and now yeah. it's this. It's almost like Disney World, you know. And you don't really now. see Times Square in movies from this era, except in Woody Allen pictures. Um, yeah, because it was like you know they stay and stuff. up in the residential. Um, yeah. Then we, you know, we won't, we won't watch Manhattan, but the opening sequence of Manhattan. We could watch Manhattan. I would, you know, we've never yes. done a Woody Allen movie. I mean, that would. Yeah, we could. I mean, you know, there's a lot to talk about, but there's an opening sequence and it is just this love letter to New York. It's, mm -hmm. 
it's instrumental it's set to gershwin i think i don't remember exactly which piece it's but it's a long long sequence of just all the various in in there is Times square huge huge banks of payphones and just people like yeah. dozens and dozens like rows of payphones that you could go into Times square to make a call and there were plenty for everybody to make a call in the porn theaters and everything else and it's just all over new york in black and white and i think more than any other <laughs> any other Woody Allen movie, that sequence, you're like, this was a New York filmmaker who loved mm -hmm. this city. And is New York is always a character in his mm -hmm. movies. And uh, maybe none, I mean, the movie is, wrestles with some complicated themes, but um, anyway, we kind of slew all around. I, I just think, I think that this movie is exactly what it sets out to do. And it just does it. You're like, I'm going to make a movie that is a kind of a meta thing about a romance thing. It's a romance story about a romance writer who kind of, ends up living the thing and you're like boom <laughs> you know what did i yeah stuck the landing 10 out of 10 that's you know did it reinvent sure. anything no was it funny yeah was it romantic yeah did you believe the performances hell yeah was it entertaining yeah <laughs> it's like and we mentioned that uh robert zemeckis was the director of this and when robert zemeckis dies they're probably not going, you know, the headline is not going to be director of Romancing the Stone. It's going to be, he directed the Back, Back to the Future movies and he directed Forrest Gump, among other things. But he has to be one of the most unheralded directors in terms of what the blockbuster movies that he did, has done. I mean, I'm saying this like he's not around anymore. He's still around and still working. But you know, you're not going, there's probably somebody out here, out there who would say this, but you're not going to say to somebody, who's your favorite director? And the person's going to say Robert Zemeckis, you know, but I mean, this guy, you know, it made entertaining movies. I mean, I think when, when most people I imagine think of the Back to the Future movie, Spielberg produced him, right? Right. I think they think Spielberg. Because they feel so, so Spielberg. It was you know? Zemeckis that directed those movies. And those talk about entertaining movies. Those are super duper entertaining. Yes, they do clearly have Spielberg's hands in them. Absolutely. But I also feel like Zemeckis was a filmmaker that when, you know, he got to work with Spielberg, he was like, hey, I'm not going to turn down good ideas. Yeah. You know, is this going to make it more entertaining? Are people going to like this more? Absolutely. Great. Great idea, Stephen. Let's do that. You know? Um, you know, you, some artists like David Mamet, who's a playwright are very, very jealous of their words and they want their actors to say it specifically. And, and I just think what good do you think, do you think your words are so precious that no idea could possibly improve it? Like, are you so closed off to collaboration <laughs> like if somebody offers you a bad idea or a, an idea that you don't think is any better it's just different then by all means as the artist don't take it but if somebody comes to you with an idea don't you want to be open at least to the possibility that it might be a good idea and if it is don't you want to let that idea make your thing better like mm -hmm. you, yeah you should i don't know was man did mamet write um Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah. 
that's we should do that on, on the show yeah I I, he wrote the play and then he also and I then think he directed he, the film i think he i don't know if he directed the film but he definitely wrote the film adaptation of it but yeah we, we talk about that. a film that is just acting you know there's just that's just a movie of just dialogue you know there's it's, no it's pretty real. much the it's pretty much the stage play with a few tweaks the 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 um alec baldwin character doesn't exist in the play and you know they in the play i don't know all of mammoth's work but i've been in glengarry Glen ross and that play i mean if you don't like david mammoth's work you're not going to like glengarry Glen ross but for his work it is the whole first act takes place in the chinese restaurant and then the whole second act takes in takes place in the ransacked office mm-hmm. and it's just again i don't want to use the word perfect but it's just this gem of a thing and it's just so boom what it is and then you i put think all that, these great actors together you know delivering think, this great dialogue i think the film for the most part captures that um it's one of those specificity it's one of those, you know, where you, I've done this a couple of times, you know, where you play a song for somebody or you have them watch a movie and you're like, they're going to love this. And then I've, I've a couple of times I've gotten friends to watch this and watched it with them. And it's like, what do you think? Eh, it was okay. You know? And then it's just like, oh, you, you know what I mean? That feeling of like, oh, cause it's, I just think it's such a brilliant movie, but. If you, I don't know if you ever go to the theater, if you have the opportunity to see a, a good production, a production that's getting good reviews of, of mm-hmm. Glenn, Gary Glenn Ross on stage. Yeah, that would be fun. I, I recommend it, especially yeah. if you like the movie, you're going to miss the, the Alec Baldwin monologue, which sure. I think is pure mammoth. And I think he really hits out of the park, mm-hmm. but, um, but the whole thing is that kind of swing and Dick swagger and, um, bravado and bluff and just toxic masculinity yelling i don't know if you there's a a female character and it might maybe there's not the wives of of you know a wife of someone there's they're trying to sell to but yeah it's It's definitely a a sausage fest you know it's It's all men and it's all salesmen yeah (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah i love that we we should that's one that we definitely should do sometime because that would just be fun to this is a movie i would enjoy talking about but all right so what's your your rating or recommendation yeah i recommend it i mean again this is an 84 so it feels a little dated um but if it's a date movie or a popcorn movie and again i i feel like as we age there's a part of me that wonders like are we just old reruns of movies that aren't going to be relatable to younger people but certainly if you're listening and you're our contemporaries revisit this one i had a great time i thought it was a lot of fun and they made it it must have done well successfully they made a sequel to it almost yeah right away didn't they yeah i believe so yeah yeah um and it kind of makes me want to go and watch the sequel yeah me too i don't know if it's on hbo max also but yeah it's um you know and i know there are people you know a good bit younger than us who who listen to the show so um some of them maybe have seen this some of them maybe not but i can't imagine there are a lot of people who are around at this time that haven't seen this or at least you know aren't familiar with it but if it's been a long time since you've seen this revisit it and and if you have never seen this it's maybe you're 
not that familiar with these actors other than these couple of big, you know, other movies that they did that, uh, that we mentioned. Then if you just want to see, it seems like there are a lot of movies today where it's like uh, the, you know, two really pretty people, but they don't necessarily have chemistry, but this is a movie of an actor and actress with really excellent chemistry. I mean, they did several other movies together, you know, so. And DeVito, you know, and DeVito DeVito fits in as this great comic third wheel. I mean, he does precisely what's needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it just, it's firing on all cylinders and it, and it doesn't run too deep. Yeah. So, you know, it's just kind of a perfect, I don't feel like Schindler's list tonight. What's light? Schindler's <laughs> list the, again. Let's romancing, <laughs> romancing the stone is fun. It yeah. is fun. And it's no fat. I think maybe you said, you know, there's not yeah. really anything that you'd say, ah, you could cut 10 minutes here or five minutes here or whatever. It's it's a really great popcorn film. No fat. And there's not, I mean, there's there's a little bit of it that feels dated, but there's nothing that you really feel you have to kind of not real cringy or skip yeah. over or be like 1984. Like some of the high school movies where you're like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, There's there's none of that. Um, uh, So have you seen anything new since we, since we last spoke? Cause we do watch new things. We're not always stuck in the eighties. You know, I, I'm so into these books. I've been reading a lot at night. I haven't watched anything new. I have started watching the second season of raised by wolves, which I know Mm. that, you hadn't been watching but that's yeah. um you know that's interesting material it's it's whatever it's not the best stuff in the universe but it's interesting material and i watched i think i have one episode left to do of uh peacemaker oh great yeah I once to, I, I got into i gobbled up but <laughs> that's one you can binge i'm watching i don't know if i said this before and i know you started watching it i'm watching um only murders in the building with my parents uh, we watched so that i'm way behind because i'm we're still on the on the first season but rachel and i watched that on show. your on your recommendation yeah we yeah did. yeah it took us a little while to get into it but once we did really yeah. enjoyed it good it's it, there's not a ton of things that i can i really feel like you, you can know, watch I, with my, your parents watch yeah. with my parents yeah. it's just this different taste you know yeah Kind of the and there's stuff language they indulge yeah. themselves in and in, uh, in sort of delicious swearing but it's not it's not like guy Ritchie where they're trying to make profanity in art they just yeah. swear like new yorkers like modern and my new parents yorkers. don't love that but but they overlook it you know so it's an, it's fairly toothless another one on that is i believe was a made for hulu or hulu bought it um but i watched last weekend that i've seen a uh, just tons of people just on twitter and instagram saying oh this is great this is really fantastic is a movie called fresh and it stars uh sebastian stan the winter soldier um and uh it's about this woman who and again it, it was written by a woman and i think directed by a woman it's definitely I think meant to be a female empowerment kind of story is, is part of what I got out of it. But um, she's a woman who it opens with her on a really bad Tinder date or, or some other kind of dating app, you know, with just this real jerk guy. And uh, it's, 
you know, it's like, ah, she can't find a good guy on these, on these apps. And then she runs into, in real life in the grocery store, she runs into Sebastian Stan and he's this really charming guy and asks for her phone number and they go out and, and really hit it off. And he's seemingly perfect, but he turns out to be a really bad guy. And that's not giving anything away. That's in the trailer, you know, he's going to do something bad. I won't say what, and it makes it sound a little bit like it's a lifetime movie, which it's not. Um, but it, it, things kind of go off the rails uh, for her from there. It's very well done, um, but it, it gets a little silly. And at the end, I was, I don't know, it just felt kind of light to me, but it's, it's getting, I may be in the minority on this because I've just seen a lot of people rave about it. It's, hmm. um, I would say you might enjoy it. It's, it's thriller borderline horror ish. Um, I mean, there's definitely horrific elements to it, but it's, I don't know. You may like it. It's worth a watch, but I felt it was, it was good, but unspectacular, you know, but it's made for Hulu, you know, it's right there free. So, I mean, it, it, it's definitely well-made and well-acted and the music in it is good. And then I went last night to the theater to see the Batman, which was the movie that I was referencing when I was talking about the practical effects. And I won't spoil anything with it, but it, I'm sure there is plenty of CGI in it, but it's not apparent. And it definitely is not like uh, a lot of other superhero movies where it just ends in a big CGI battle. It, everything seems real in it like you know it's real stunts and and all of that um i was really impressed with it it's long it's three hours three hours uh you know just under three hours and they they could have cut it could have been two and a half hours you know they could have i was never bored but it just didn't need to be three hours but um so i went with my sister and my brother-in-law my sister and i were both stoked about it my brother-in-law didn't want to see it at all and all three of us loved it you know came out of it loving it it the look of it is and even some of the tone of it i described it as uh seven meets fight club meets the crow it's very much that 90s fincher look but there's a lot of elements about it that reminded me of the crow and there are things in it where i was just like oh you know, they took shot this shot from Fight Club and they took this shot from The Crow. I don't know if that was intentional, but I can't imagine that, right. you know, they that the director. Wasn't Every, everything's dark, that. even in a fully brightly lit room. It somehow feels yeah. dark in here. Yeah, it's very yeah. much that 90s Fincher and kind of the yellow lighting, you know, and washed out and all that. Um, it's very set in realism in a lot of ways, but there are also it still feels like a comic book. So I, it's still stylized and there are things about it that are like, Oh, this isn't really like a, the, the way Gotham city looks is kind of a mix between Tim Burton's movies. And again, the crow. Um, so I'd almost yeah. love to see a Batman movie. This is just a fantasy. I'd almost like to see a Batman movie in black and white shot like it's the 40s like it's noir like the original yeah. detective comics and everything everything the style is like oh 
it's him. See, it's the it's the Batman or whatever. You know, I, I'd love. I'd almost. I don't know if a studio would make such a thing because of the commercial appeal, but I just it would be cool. The whole concept of it is so black and white. It's you're mm. in shadow or you're not, you know. And then the only time you ever see Batman is out in the streets where it's just the lone streetlight or whatever. And, and and every other time when he's inside or city hall or whatever, he's Bruce Wayne and it's the typical tuxedo and it's, you know, the brill creamed hair and he's the. It's like what you're used to seeing in the, the golden age of cinema. I just I don't know. I feel like be... the, the material came out of that. Oh, yeah. And now the idea of somebody dressing up like a character is just but it would be fun to see something set at a time where people couldn't get their head around it you know it was like who's this guy think he is what's why he dresses as a bat you know it's like oh no i I seen him i seen the bat you know it would feel supernatural in a way that is come to feel banal yeah yeah because we've now seen what 50 batman movies i mean i don't know how many but and uh with this, so the director Matt Reeves had said he really set out to for that you you brought up you know detective comics that this was going to be the first Batman where he's really a the Batman is detective and and they do a good job with that and there's not for a big comic book movie there's still plenty of action but it's not like wall to wall action there's a lot of talking and looking for clues and all of that, you know, which was cool. But, and the, you know, this ship long ago sailed, but the people still lamenting that it's not Adam West Batman, you know, Zoom Pow and all that. Like <laughs> those people, I don't think will enjoy this because, you know, it's, uh, it's you not. know, it's, it's obviously very dark and, you know, he's really mopey and never smiles and, you know, but, and Pattinson is really, really good. You know, every, Every new Batman, people are always pissed. You know, this is not my Batman, and he's really good. You know, the in my opinion, the the ones that are the the films that are bad, it's never the guy playing Batman that is the reason that it's bad. You know, right. I, I think all of the all of the actors who have played Batman have been fine. You know, you have George Clooney is viewed as the worst Batman, but you it's George Clooney. You know, it's you just don't actually have a lot to do right. as Batman. I mean, you really don't. You're now brooding. This, I mean, with this, this is, uh, I was reading, and, and I think this is true. This is probably the most Batman that we actually get. And now, of course, it's three hours long. But in almost all of the other films, the, the focus is on the villain. And, you know, this is probably the most that we see Batman in a film. So this is definitely about batman and not just villains you know even though we we still have multiple villains in this one but yeah it's it's uh i thought it was really fantastic i mean um i, I definitely I intend to see it yeah i don't i would say definitely see it in the theater you know even though it's long but um you know i don't i don't want to spoil anything but um but i was you know i was really hyped for it and and i i thought it was great so i i didn't feel let down and or disappointed or anything in in any way so cool very very good what do you want to do for next time we had talked about uh birdman 
Right. Speaking of Batman, Birdman, I did. I saw that movie in the theater and loved it. Oh, I did not see it in the theater, but I I saw it at home and loved it. The person Uh, I saw it with hated it. (laughs) I could see. I I know people who who did not like it. I I can see it's not a movie for everybody. Um, We could watch that. I also thought about on the along the lines of, well, it is Batman. But have you ever seen it's it's on HBO Max. Um, they did an animated adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns. Have you ever seen that? The Frank Miller comic? Um, I'd like to do that sometime. Uh, it's in two parts. So I think it's it may be close to three hours also, which is a lot for an animated thing. But um, but that's pretty cool. You know, when you're in kind of a, a Batman mood, but. Um, so I'll let you pick. You want to do, do you, Birdman? Do you have a preference? I've seen them both. I mean, and you know, they're very different, uh, very different kind of things. So I'm happy with either. If we do the Batman thing, we'll do the whole deal. We'll do both parts. Yeah, yeah, we'll do, do both of them. Yeah, just watch so, it as a whole. I mean, you might. It's, it's animated. Yeah, it's animated. Um, and it is on, but it's, you know, animation for, I think it's rated R. It's uh, called Batman Returns. It's yeah. It's called it's called the I'm sorry, the Dark Knight Returns. The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, there's a little. We could do that. Okay, it's fun. I mean, uh, and it's a straight. I mean, we'll get into all of this, but it is a straight adaptation of the of the comic of the graphic um, novel of the graphic novel. Yeah, by Frank Miller. So and yeah, it's, okay. And I like Frank things, Miller stuff. You'll see. There's elements that they've used in that they took some of the movies. You know. Um, one thing new I did watch is I watched the Watchmen, whatever it's called, moving comic where they basically, oh, yeah, yeah, they take the original graphic novel of Watchmen and they lightly kind of animate it. So Mm -hmm. it's it's all the original art, it's just one voice actor doing all of the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, but it reminded me how great that original graphic novel is. Oh, sure. And uh, yeah, that's got me kind of in the mood for... The New York Times rated that one, with Watchmen, one of the one... They just were considering it as a novel, you know, not even breaking it down and separating it out as graphic novel. But the, the New York Times at one point named that one of the 100 greatest novels of the 20th century. Wow. So, um, and that's interesting that you bring up the Watchmen because with the Batman, he does, there's a a voiceover at times with him. And again, this had to be intentional. I I can't imagine that this was just an accident, but that reminded me a lot of Rorschach in Watchmen because there's a lot of him just, you know, it's like this city, you know, is I'm paraphrasing, but it's like this city's going to hell, you know, it's just the vermin and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was very, very Rorschach. And that's so. also just very noir. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's when she walked in. Exactly. You know, I knew trouble when I saw it, but I couldn't resist. It was yeah. this sort of running narrator, like the internal monologue of the um but but I'll be excited for uh, when you do see it so we can talk about it because it's there's a cool lot, well a lot we'll do it. it to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And I think I'll probably figure out a way to see it soon with the kids and everything getting out to a theater. I've got to carve the time out to do it. Um, and it's I, I saw I've seen a couple of people on Twitter who were again, it's like, OK, not everything is for everyone, but some some people complaining, well, 
this is a Batman movie and I can't take my kids to it. Okay. I mean, it, it's very much a movie. It's a movie for adults. I, yeah. I feel I'm not, you know, I'm not going to take the kids to it, but I, yeah. I mean, I need to find three hours to get where I don't have kids. Yeah. Responsibility. Like I have to pick them up from school. So sure. I can't, I can't go to the 11, 12, one, two or three o'clock movie. Right. So that <laughs> three hours to, makes it tough. Yeah. I have to go to the evening movie and that means I'm skipping dinner and bedtime, but that's fine. Right. Like I just have to, I have to broker that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't just yeah. pop out to the movies. Um, yep. Anyway, uh, good to talk to you as always. Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com is where we are. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like and subscribe and leave us a little comment. And if you're listening to us on the podcast, thank you so much for listening to us in your ears on the podcast. It's we're everywhere and we're on the socials. And if there's any, especially these older movies, if there's anything that, you know, that you ever think like, oh, wow, why do these guys not talk about X or Y? Send us recommendations. I'll watch X. We'll watch Y. Maybe. I don't know. No no guarantees. (laughs) But um, we'd love to hear from you. And we're going to do Frank Miller's animated uh, the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns, Returns, part one. I think that and there's two, so many. Yeah, part one and two. Which is on uh, HBO Max. Yep, on HBO Max. If you are subscribers and join us for that in celebration of the recent release of The Batman starring Robert Pattinson. And um, anything else to add? No, that's it. Me neither then. We will talk to you all next week. <laughs>